0: Welcome to the Fighting for Joy podcast. I'm your host Jody Blick, and today I have my husband Eric back on with me for part two of our series called Fighting for Joy in Marriage. Welcome back, Eric.
1: Hey, thanks, Jody. You ready to tackle the second half of our list? I am very ready. It was fun to do that last that last time, and um, didn't know how many we would get through. I thought we'd get through eight. Then I thought we'd get through like two once we started. So uh, five of the 10 is a fun place to stop.
0: Yeah, good. Well, if by chance you just found this episode and you didn't listen to part one, it might be helpful to go back and listen to that first, because as we mentioned in part one, this is by no means an exhaustive list. Um, marriage is a huge topic. There are a lot of aspects we won't have time to cover. Um, but with that in mind, we narrowed it down to 10. We chose 10 things that we have Um, learned in marriage, kind of the main things that have helped us to thrive as a couple and as individuals in marriage. And last week we covered the first five, like Eric said, um, everything from learning your spouse's love language to understanding the big picture of God's design for marriage. Um, We covered a lot and we have a lot more to cover today, so I think we should get started. We're going to stick with the same format that we used during part one. We'll go back and forth with each topic, kind of talking about what we have found helpful to do and then on the flip side, what not to do, as we call them, the yeses and noes of marriage. So let's jump in. Eric, you go first. Number six.
1: So we're on number six. The yeses and no's. Yes to loving your spouse is the best way to love your children. No to reserving your best efforts and energy on your kids. Hmm. So this is one that I think we talked about early on in marriage of, is it an either or, um, should we, should we invest in our kids in a way that is so focused that what if we forget about our own marriage and, um, You know, I think that in looking through this, how can you love your kids? And I think one of the ways is that you do send them off with a healthy view of marriage and that the world doesn't revolve around them. Um, So after dinner, um, for instance, uh, spending an extra 15 minutes just talking, just hanging out, Uh, Talking as a couple over dinner sends a very loud message even when Jackson was little that mom is important and what mom thinks is important and how dad and mom talk together and prioritize time like that together is something that will ultimately help and benefit the kids Mm -hmm. long-term. And those those are some of the helpful ways in which I think we've been coached to uh, think about loving your kids well by taking care of your marriage.
0: I agree. I agree. I think it was said, you know, the best marriages give their best to one another. Um, Kids are important. Friendship is important. Work is important. But striving to give your spouse the best energy is kind of a good way um, to look at it. And, you know, it's just it's really, like you said, easy to fall into the busyness that kids bring. I mean, we had four little ones, so four different schedules, four yeah. different interests, lots of things that were going on, multiple schedules. Um, sometimes we weren't even at the same events that, you know, we were at different events splitting up our, our um, presence between the kids and their activities, and then all of a sudden everything is full, our evenings are full, we're not fitting in um, time together, or when we do have time together, we're both just utterly exhausted. Um, And just, you know, a side note to young parents, I think one thing we have learned through trial and error is it is okay to say no to things. I mean, there were things that we chose our kids not to participate in so that we could have a more sane schedule with four kids. Um, Sometimes those decisions, you know, they were hard. They were met with tears at times. And honestly, our kids did miss out on some things, some opportunities, um, some improvement in their sport or their activity. But on this side, with a 22-year-old, a 19-year-old, and a 17-year-old, I think for the sake of our marriage, we do not regret it. Um, and I think if you would talk to our kids, they would agree that um, although it was hard at the time to make some decisions and kind of pick and choose what we would be involved in and say, instead of saying yes to everything, um, it did give us all um, time and energy and the ability to focus on other things that were important to our family. Um, for us, you know, a lot of it was the hard work of grief. Um, a big focus was on their spiritual development. That was super important to us, um, as well as creating a family where we just enjoyed time together at home, you know, at the dinner table and playing games. And also for us, one thing that has helped us to thrive as a married couple is having space in our week to be with other couples and other families, um, to welcome other people into our home. Yeah. You know, we've we've worked to be a family that has time and space and energy to regularly have other families over um, for dinner, to sit around the fire pit. Um, so, I mean, this is hard to do. We have failed at times, but um, it's, you know, it has been definitely an encouragement for us um, in our marriage to right. try to give our best to one another.
1: Yeah. You know, I think there's the temptation that, in some ways, kids can be easier at times to love than your spouse. Um, there's and more this, fun to go to, you right? know,
0: there are different things than it is sometimes right.
1: to do the hard work of marriage. Yeah. So I, I, I think that oftentimes, you know, you come to marriage thinking that's going to fix everything in you. You're going to be fulfilled and content the rest of your life. Uh, I think we've got a talking point coming up on this. Um, and then when you find out that that doesn't happen, then you kind of put that weight on your kids. Um, and it's just sometimes easier to get your sense of need, to get your sense of value when you see your kids really do need you mm-hmm. <laughs> and they really do value you. And they're, and it, you know, at different ages, they literally can't survive without you. Mm-hmm. Um, And that can play into the temptation of, well, that gives me where my worth is. And I don't have to then, um, do some of the harder work of marriage. And I just want to keep encouraging couples that it's good to focus on your marriage. It's good to focus on the uh, heavy lifting and, um, it's good to say no to things for your kids and for your uh, family. So you've got time to do this heavy lifting and like we said, sometimes it's going to be easier and more fun to love your kids and do other things with them. Um, so um, th- those are those are a couple pieces of you know ways in which we can love our kids well by loving our spouse well and sending the message that our kids are important, our love for them is key, um, but the world doesn't revolve around their every need. And look at what. A relationship can be like between husband and wife. And that takes priority, time, energy, and effort. Now, of course, this doesn't give us a free pass to be like, well, guess <laughs> guess I don't have to spend any time with the kids this week. Uh, because I just spent I not um I just spent a ton of time just with my wife. So obviously it doesn't give us a get out of jail free card on that. But when we think of priority, um, it's not an either or It's a how can I love my kids well, prioritize and love my wife well.
0: Right. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, we have seen people and we are almost there too, getting towards the uh, empty nester years and you are, you're left with a relationship that has no investment, um, built into it. So you're left with, um, just trying to reconnect, trying to figure out, Oh, oh, it's just the two of us. Um, now what? And so, yes, as long as our kids are in our home, it's definitely investing in them, building into them, um, enjoying them. Um, but, uh, not at the cost, um, of prioritizing your spouse, investing in your marriage, um, And making sure that when the kids are launched into the world, um, that you have, um, a solid marriage to now enjoy just back to the two of you. Yeah. 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 It's just hard, you know, it's just hard to give your spouse your best energy when at the end of the day you finally crawl into bed together and you're (laughs) utterly exhausted. The first time you're connecting with your spouse, you're done, (laughs) which kind of leads us into number seven. Um, do you have anything else to add on number six?
1: No, Okay. Let's go to number seven. So
0: number seven, and just a heads up, this one has to do with physical intimacy. So if you're listening with your kids in the car or something, or if you are our kids, I mean, it's up to you if you want to keep <laughs> listening. <laughs> um, but just kidding, we're not afraid to talk yeah. about this kind of stuff with our kids. But we did want to integrate this into our top 10 list because it feels um, super important to have a discussion About sex within a healthy marriage. It is such a part of a thriving marriage. So, number seven yes to doing the hard work of communication, honesty, and vulnerability as a couple so that physical intimacy is desired and enjoyed. No to thinking that sex can be a healthy part of a marriage that lacks trust, openness, and intimacy in other areas. So for us, you know, we have the most desire for physical intimacy when we are connecting emotionally and spiritually. When we are in a good place of sharing our hearts with one another, um, we feel like we're on the same page. Um, There's no stamp book, as we talked about before. We're keeping the lines of communication open. Um, we're being vulnerable and honest with each other. And um, just kind of the main point being that it's really difficult to enjoy sex, to desire it, to prioritize it if you aren't doing the hard work in the other areas of your marriage. I mean, for example, if you're holding a grudge against your spouse or if you haven't forgiven them for something, there's a huge issue you guys haven't um, made time to address or talk about, then it's like there's this big elephant in the right. room that you're ignoring and you do not want to make love, at least you're not going to enjoy it or desire it. Um, Yeah, so if you haven't learned how to be open and vulnerable and honest as you talk through things and just kind of communicate about your marriage, how can you expect to be open and vulnerable in bed?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, I didn't get a chance to hear uh, your yeses and nos on each of these before we started, and I didn't share with you mine either, so it's Mm -hmm. It's really fun to hear the way that you wrote that out of the yeses and noes and I think you just captured so much there. Um, you know, from a young boy, I would hear what scripture has to say about sex. Um, and so much of it comes back to the one phrase of the two shall become one flesh. Um, and you know, I confess as a kid I had no idea what that means or meant and I figured that was just meaning sex, um, and that's an interesting phrase from the Genesis account, quoted a number of times throughout you know Scripture, and um, it's it's helpful when you kind of unpack that more. What does it mean? It's not just used in one place. The Bible just doesn't talk about this in one spot, um, and you know, um, this isn't something bad to talk about or bad to do. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's what God created. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's a big uh, piece of marriage. And um, so one of the most helpful podcasts that I've heard on this um, from the gospel in life, sexuality and Christian hope. There's a couple quotes that I do like about that. And, it starts by summarizing kind of the two main, most common views of sex. One is sex as an appetite. I'm hungry, this is just physical, it's just like when I need some food, I just need sex, my body needs something. Um, And that's one large camp of how to think about sex, and that's a lot in our uh, culture today. The other part of our, you know, culture today too is the flip side of that, which is sex is dirty. Um, this isn't something you should do. This isn't something you should like. This is this is something just because you got to get kids into the world, right? <laughs> and that's the wrong way to look at it too. So there's really two main camps, and what I think we see in Scripture is an unpacking of this third way, hmm. or this third category. Um, and this is, this is probably the best quote that I've, uh, you know, found on this. So it's not sex as appetite. It's not sex as dirty, but instead it's sex as radical self donation for transformation in covenant investment. (laughs) So there's a lot, (laughs) there's a lot packed in there Mm -hmm. that this is a radical way to be unselfish to one another for the transformation of both the other person and yourself, Mm um, within this idea of a covenant investing over time. Um, Mm -hmm. and there's, there's so much that I like about that, but I'm just going to pause and see how that quote hits you or see what, you know, some of your thoughts are on that.
0: Yeah. It's packed full, packed full for sure. Um, but full of truth. Um, yeah, I think, you know, so practically, so that's kind of the overarching idea. And then I think practically, you know, like you said, The unselfish piece, it's figuring out ways to give, um, of yourself to your spouse in a way that causes you to function practically as one flesh. Um, and you know, so practically, I think this means, you know, sharing yourself with your spouse in other ways. You share your dreams, your hopes, your fears, your hurts, your disappointments. You confess your sins to one another. You extend forgiveness um, back to the whole idea of liking each other and enjoying time together. I mean, these are the kinds of things that naturally lead to a desire for more physical intimacy with your spouse, where it doesn't get to, like you said, these two opposite spectrums, where sex is either the ultimate right. thing or just something that we need. Or, you know, for women, I think a lot of times it's just something to be endured. Um, but it it can become something that is a natural overflow and outflow of all of the other, um, hard work that you're doing in your marriage to remain open and vulnerable and build that trust and honesty.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well said, um, this idea of becoming one flesh is really the inner mingling of souls. Um, and so Paul again says something really strange um he says don't you know that your bodies are members of christ shall i then take the members of christ and make them members of a prostitute never or do you not know that he who has joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her so if sex is just about the physical then this verse that also goes back and quotes genesis um chapter one and two um then this verse doesn't make sense because it doesn't make any sense. Don't you know that when you have sex with a prostitute, you're having sex with a prostitute? That's, that, doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. And it's because sex is more than physical. It's the intermingling of souls. And without that lifelong commitment, we begin to break that intimacy of the mingling of souls that God built. Hmm. Um, and that's the other reason too why porn doesn't ultimately work there, there's no self-donation in this long-term investment into the other person. And the, the sad realities about that is that some of the studies that have been done on the brain actually do show that porn is an addiction that's similar to alcohol and that can do damage to the long-term capacity of our brains to experience this kind of pleasure of being intimate beyond just the physical with your you know spouse and um so those are those are some ways in which you know the bible talks about it as being good worthy to be protected worthy to be figured out um and worthy to have a great place in marriage because it is about intermingling of souls that's what marriage is that's what becoming one flesh means um it doesn't just mean having sex with another uh, person and as we said last time that's why we were created to have intimacy to we are relational beings and as god overflowed out of himself out of the uh, trinity to create the world to experience you know to have men and women experience intimacy with him um that that's the intermingling of souls with him that we're getting a picture of in a well run marriage um and that's what our hearts are built for and that's that's where we're headed
0: Hmm. Yeah, and and hearing all of that um, might leave people thinking, well, then, wow, this should be just a phenomenal part of my marriage, and it's not. So, what's wrong? And what's wrong is that we live in a broken world, and we are, you know, broken people, <laughs> too, too sinful people in a marriage trying to function right. in a broken world. Right. So it, yes, that is super important to keep this overarching picture and um and idea and theology of physical intimacy within sex. But, um, you know, you and I talk often about the idea of, you know, even with good communication and a close relationship that involves, you know, a lot of sharing and openness, there's still just ordinary sex. There's Mm -hmm. still seasons when, you know, it's not working well. Um, You know, kind of the idea that it's totally normal to have an ebb and flow with physical intimacy, meaning it always won't be like it was at the beginning. It always won't be a phenomenal experience, um, but sometimes it will. I mean, there is ordinary sex. There's extraordinary sex. I mean, both are normal. Both are a, a very important and normal part of a, of a ongoing marriage. Um, but again, it's just, it's the daily and weekly work of communicating and listening and investing In your marriage. Um, And I think with a topic like this too, you know, the specifics are different for everybody. It matters greatly what season of life you are in. If you're pregnant or you're knee deep into the challenges and exhausting years of babies and young children and wayward teens. I mean, these are all hard years for physical intimacy. You're dealing with body changes and family changes and hormonal changes. And these were all really hard years for us. Um, it was also really hard for us during the darker days of grief. Um, I've had friends share about the struggles of, you know, desiring physical intimacy when they are not feeling well, or they have financial stress or work stress. There's, there's just always going to be something that can rob us of joy and make us think that physical intimacy is kind of the last thing we should worry about or prioritize, um, But I think we both want to just say, you know, stay open. Um, If you're going through hard things like postpartum or physical pain or work stress, um, just fight not to shut down or, you know, pull away from each other. Keep sharing, keep being vulnerable and open and be patient because most likely it will come around and be enjoyable again. But um, don't give up because it seems like couples who, you know, do keep trying to work through the struggles um, of keeping a healthy sexual um, aspect in their marriage um, during the harder seasons of life, um, persevere. Otherwise, it just feels like when you do shut yourself off and kind of just um, don't prioritize it for an extended period of time, you can fall easily into some you know, bad patterns of withholding or resentment or anger. And it's just hard to to rebound and try to reintegrate that into the rhythm of of your marriage. Um, Another quick thing that uh, just practically, you know, trying to keep some humor and fun um, in this aspect of your marriage too, not taking yourself too seriously um, or your spouse too seriously. Um, You brought up pornography. I think that's great. Comparison can steal our joy for sure, especially in this area. Um, Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to say too, in this section is that love language, you know, this is a huge piece. I think Um, here, I mean, if you don't feel truly known or loved or accepted or listened to, um, if you guys are speaking two different languages, it's really hard to want to connect physically. (laughs) Um, but when you're doing the things that your spouse has told you that actually communicate love and care and affection, then it naturally pulls you closer together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Um, The other thing too is sex is such a contrast to uh, grief, right? And, um, and, you know, maybe talk about what the grief retreat about this whole concept of, um, grief on the, you know, putting, um, grief on the shelf. Like it's okay, um, you know, to, to have grief on the shelf for a bit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think we talked about that earlier in one of the other episodes we shared, about um nancy guthrie's idea of putting grief on the shelf there are going to be things that um are a part of your life and an important part of your life even in the depths of grief that you might need to just um kind of put this grief that's not going away (laughs) if you forget about it for you know an hour to invest in your kids or to invest in physical intimacy with your spouse or you know whatever it may be it's not going away um you you can put it on the shelf, so to speak, and um, fully um, engage yeah. in something else important in your life that is, like you said, a contrast, a huge contrast to grief um, for the betterment of your marriage, your uh, other relationships, and even your own your own self, your own healing and progress. I remember our counselor Claire saying to me at one point, you know, picture your life 10 years from now. So 10 years into grief, 10 years of Jackson being gone. Where do you want to be? Where do you want to be? Do you want to be stuck? Do you want to be, you know, struggling or do you want to be healing and thriving and growing? Um, And if so, then you need to take baby steps all throughout these 10 years just Make little progresses, little you know steps of progress um, all throughout so that you are working towards this place that you hope and want and desire to be in 10 years. And I think physical intimacy was definitely something for us in that in grief was just thinking, I don't want to give this aspect of our life and our marriage up. It's challenging now, such a contrast to the grief and the lament and the absolute pain we are right. feeling. Um but let's continue to to work on this, prioritize it, um, and put grief on the shelf at different times um, to continue to invest in our marriage.
1: Yeah, good. the this whole thought of um, this radical self-donation for trans for transformation, we, we do see that elsewhere too i mean there is no intimacy with one another in marriage without losing some independence right you don't come to marriage thinking that this is all my way and now this is all about me to make a good marriage work you in essence lose independence there and we in this country think that's, that's hard. Like that doesn't make sense to us, but think of it this, this way too, that this lifelong investment into your spouse, um, is where the intimacy is really coming from. And even Christ leaving heaven gave us a picture of this. He had the true independence of heaven and being satisfied in the Godhead Um, And he left and gave that up to have intimacy with us, that we may know God, that he would radically, you know, self-donate to us in a a, a different way in this, uh, you know, pattern, um, which we really see out of marriage. And that's what what Christ did for us to be intimate with us. Um, And it helps us view this investment, lifelong donation, not just physically, but every part of you into the other person make a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, And yeah, you're going to jump in. Okay. Um, No, the, the um, last, last thought on this is, um, you know, even though the Bible has a lot of great things to say about sex and that God made it, um, the Bible is also radical to have a whole line of thinking and pattern that sex is not needed to have an ultimately fulfilling life here on earth. Right. Um, there's these, um, there's both of these taught within the word of God. And, you know, one case in point of that too, is just that Christ, um, who was the perfect man, uh, didn't have a spouse. Didn't, he wasn't married. He didn't experience some of these things and that's okay. Like there's a real radical nature of Christianity saying that, um, that, sex isn't the end all be all within marriage and you have to have that to have a fulfilled life uh it is one of the great things that god built into this world um but there is there is um satisfaction without it as well
0: right and also if you are married i mean then it does need to be a part of your marriage yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah, super. Um, yeah so if if this is an area where um you are you're hurting you've been hurt. Um, it isn't um, a thriving part of your marriage. Our encouragement is not to start just trying to make it be a part of your um, your marriage. It really is like we've been saying throughout this whole section, um, working on these other aspects of your marriage that are hindering you from being open um, in this area. And you know, it's, it really boils down to trust. Um, marriages that are lacking trust. Um, really lack that physical intimacy usually as well. Um, So just, you know, keeping the the lines of communication, open, listening, sharing, supporting each other, cheering each other on these things, build trust. And when trust develops outside of the bedroom, it grows in the bedroom.
1: Yeah. Good. Yeah. Okay. Number eight. Number eight talks about the myth of this 50, 50%. So yes, To being willing to go 100-0, loving and giving 100% of the marriage, expecting 0% in return. And no to giving your 50% of the effort in the marriage only after or when she gives her 50%. So this business deal is 50-50. You do your part, I do mine. Uh, We'll have a good marriage of our 50% plus 50% equals 100%. Um, that's how contracts work. That's how business deals go down. Um, that's not the way God built uh, marriage. So, um, lots of thoughts here on this 50, 50, if it's not 50, 50, then is it something else? Is it 60, 40? Uh, that's, that's kind of fun. Uh, we talk about 80, 20 on, on a lot of different things. And I think early in our marriage, we were told, you should look into the, this as a hundred percent zero. And we both looked at each other, maybe being a, a year or two mm-hmm. in a marriage, like what right. on earth? Like that makes no like sense.
0: Like 50-50 kind of made sense. A hundred-hundred kind of made sense. Right. But that was radical when when they suggested a hundred zero. It just it took us a minute to be like, what does that even look like?
1: Yeah. So, um, th- this was, this was probably one of the hardest things to get my head around. Um, and yet probably one of the most helpful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, yes to being willing to go a hundred zero. So that means that, um, me coming home, me being ready to serve Jody isn't, if she's done already other things, um, that I can see we're making progress as a marriage or these things are done. And that makes me want to love her more. And that certainly happens. <laughs> there is an aspect of hundred hundred hundred, hundred works, which is really cool. When one person's given a hundred percent, the other person's like, man, I love that. Like, uh, that inspires me. Like I want to give a hundred percent. Um, that's some great times where mercy comes out in marriage. Hmm. Um, and it's super fun. Um, but that's not that's not what it looks like necessarily every day and so can you approach marriage in a way that all right i'm i'm being called to this i'm in this marriage what if my spouse really does give 0% for the next month um or for the next week or for the next day or really Just in this marriage, like how, like, how am I supposed to deal with that? And Mm -hmm. what am I supposed to think about that? And I think one of the hopeful things that the Bible also says is that, you know, God is indeed called love. He is love. And when we are born anew, as John chapter three talks about, we, we do get God's spirit in us to do things that are impossible. And I would kind of put this in the bucket of... A hundred zero that makes no sense mm-hmm. <laughs> unless mm-hmm. you've got unless you've got something deeper going on,
0: yeah, yeah, I think too. it protects your marriage from feeling like a transactional hmm. uh relationship yeah. um you know and whether whether you like our hundred zero number or not, maybe you do like eighty twenty or a hundred hundred or you know fifty fifty um the I think the point is just are you willing to give a hundred percent to your marriage even if your spouse can't or won't because. In reality, I mean, usually one person is giving more at any given time. Um, maybe they're in a healthier spot or a less exhausted place, or they're just better suited with their wiring to do more things that take time and energy around the house or, or in, a, in a marriage. Um, I think, too, um, as a side note, this gets back to expectations and um, You know, Mm, usually when you feel let down or discouraged, it's not always because of what the other person did or didn't do, but because of your expectation of what the other person should have done or not done. Um, And so a lot of times, you know, we do things expecting the other person to respond in a certain way or to reciprocate. And um, that doesn't, that just doesn't always happen. And, you know, we can't also, if you're thinking well, I'll give a hundred percent and that's going to motivate my spouse to give a hundred percent. You hinted at that. Right. Um, that is bad motivation <laughs> because is. if your spouse doesn't, um, boy, right. you're going to be discouraged and think, well, then what am I doing this for? So it really does need to be, um, something that you're committing to, um, between you and the Lord, knowing that you are, you, um, are fulfilled and satisfied in him and you are wanting to pour yourself out for your spouse. Um, give a hundred percent, um, no matter what.
1: Yeah. No, I think that, um, you know, we've already made the case that, you know, marriage is this living, uh, parable, this living story playing out for us to understand, um, how Christ feels about us, how Christ thinks of us, how Christ connects with us. Like that's the bigger uh, picture here. And we do see this play out. If you just look at what happened when uh, Christ came, um, he came to people that hated him and he came to people that were not good and were not right. He came, left this freedom of heaven to come and do and give a hundred zero. If you look at his life, he spent the most amount of time and so many times eating with prostitutes, eating with sinners, um, people that the religious leaders of that day really wouldn't be seen with. And so here's Christ saying, I'm not going to wait for you to give me something first. I'm not going to wait for you to get yourself together, your act, you know, together. I, I'm going to come and and I'm going to obey the will of my father. And I'm going to come and I, I'm going to do 100 hmm. Um, So we do see that there. and um, And just on that point, I mean... Yeah.
0: Yes, we need to look to him as an example of how to do that. But also, I mean, he is the one who can do this yeah. in us. I mean, yeah. we can't just that's say, so well, great. we need to be like that because Jesus was like that. And I mean, he really is the one who can give us the strength and uh, the ability to do it when we can't muster it up ourselves. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. He's I mean, an
0: example and a savior.
1: <laughs> how how do we do 100 zero? And the answer is, um <laughs> just what you said, our hearts become melted when we see like, you know, I was the zero. I, I was who Christ pursued. Um, and he didn't wait for me to, you know, get to 20% before he would uh, give me 80. I was broken. I was a wreck. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and he came after us. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's what, you know, Paul kind of holds up that, melts our hearts that really does say, man, if, if, if Christ did this for me, let me figure out ways in which to do this for my wife. Yeah. Um, one of my other favorite verses do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but instead in humility count others. And that includes your spouse as more significant than yourself. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, or in this case, your own list of things you'd like, or you want to do. Um, right. But also to the interest of others. And so two of my favorite words, um, in the, the past couple of years, looking at this at, at these, you know, verses has been honor and empathy. Like how can you honor your spouse in another way? Um, just like it says here that it's as if they are more significant than you. Um, and that's really getting at the heart of this hundred zero, um, and how can you have empathy for them in a way that you don't just look out for the things that interest you, but you do put yourself in their shoes. And what makes what my, makes my spouse or others think this way or feel this way? Or what must they be feeling right now going through this, this, and this? Not just w- what I feel and not just what I want. Um, and then the immediate passage right after that is, um, look at what Christ Jesus did who emptied himself um, and he left heaven and became man. Um, and he obeyed the will of his father. Uh, and he did that, uh, you know, for us and Mm -hmm. that, that melts our hearts and gets us in this mindset that, man, if I'm going to try to live this hundred zero life, um, uh, where do I get the strength from that? Where do I see it? Um, and man, I need some help on that because, um, that, that Mm -hmm. does make a marriage work very well.
0: Yeah, and we are not sharing this because we've got it down <laughs> pat. That's right. Um, this is a uh, just you know an idea that we have um, tried to implement um, imperfectly, but um, consistently we've tried to continue to remember this and keep it at the forefront of our minds. Something to work towards um, because it does. It goes definitely against. Um, what the world um, tells us about ourselves and prioritizing ourselves and our own needs. Um, and also just, you know, we just are selfish in our, in our spirit and in ourselves and wanting our needs to be met, wanting everybody yeah. to, you know, do what we um, desire them to do. We aren't always thinking about what we can give to somebody who may or may not um, meet our expectations on right. the flip side Um, I think we're typically more accepting of this in friendships. I mean, I think through Mm. the friendships that, you know, last the longest or the most solid and dependable, um, often, I mean, you'll see this theme, you will, you'll see, people giving 100% and staying 100% committed even when the other person right. has nothing or or much less to give. Um, I definitely saw this in our first couple of years of grief. I had nothing to give to my friends. I remember saying that. Mm. I have nothing to offer right now, nothing yeah. to give. Um, and I had a lot of friends who were okay with that. They still gave 100% to our friendship and to me. Um, and they are still thriving friendships today. There wasn't an attitude of like, well, you're not giving a hundred percent, so I'm not either. Right. Or well Jody's not keeping up her fifty percent. Yep. Or way you get a, over grief, then we we'll right. friends again. There was just an understanding right. of that's just the natural ebb and flow of lives of life. We're going to have harder seasons where the other person has to step up. Um, We do this often in friendship. We do it with our kids, but we don't always allow for seasons when our spouses can't give or do or function to the best of their abilities um, when we have to give more. Um, We don't always keep this category of thinking uh, at the forefront of our mind. Yeah, good. Okay, number nine. Yes to finding your contentment and identity in Christ and having your deepest needs met by him no to expecting your spouse to be your savior to expecting them to complete you or perfectly fulfill your every need yeah wow and the idea behind this is just putting those kinds of expectations on your your spouse for them to be your savior this crushes another human being. (laughs) (laughs) It does. Um, I mean, people do it with their kids too, expecting their kids to be the thing that will save them in life Mm. or a job or
1: give them meaning.
0: Right. Right. Um, And I think it's just an important thing to talk about because it is really common, especially in marriage. Um, I don't think most people would flat out say that they are expecting their spouse to be their savior. Or to say that they think their spouse can perfectly fulfill all of their needs and wants and desires. But I think practically, that's how a lot of people live. Um, There are just these kinds of expectations that they're putting on their spouse in the deepest places of... Their heart. And I think for women, you know, we've been told since we were little that there should be this knight in shining armor on a white horse who will come and rescue you, rescue you from your childhood wounds or Mm. provide you with material wealth so you never have to worry or be in need, or somebody who's going to come and rescue you from your own insecurities or shame or doubt somebody who will make you feel fulfilled or take away your loneliness. That's a big one too. Um, But when that's the case and you're putting this on your spouse, it's too much to bear Um, because um, spoiler alert, (laughs) your spouse (laughs) will fail you. I mean, they won't do everything perfectly marriage and your spouse. They are both created to point you to Christ and to the perfect ways that he loves us, the perfect ways that he provides and cares for us. And honestly, on the flip side, when we fail our spouse, when we are the one um, mm. on the other end, and we've caused hurt, um, then we see our own need for a savior more clearly and um, are better able to extend grace um to our spouse. So I guess the main point is if you're looking for somebody who will never disappoint you or never hurt you, never leave you, never forsake you, never fail you, never reject you. I mean, you are looking for Christ.
1: Yeah. Not not a perfect spouse. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And I, I think one of the most often quoted movie lines that's really funny is, um, you complete me. Mm -hmm. Right. And it sounds so cool. It sounds like, you know, you're in this rough spot and you meet this woman who like can set things straight. She can complete you because you know that you're not together. um, Mm -hmm. And that you're much, much happier now that you've been completed by somebody else. And I think that's somewhat of the Hollywood dream. We see that in a lot of different movies Um, and, and it's just, that's, that's the weight of another person needing to save you and you, they will crush, they, they will get crushed under that. So the way that I told Nathan this, uh, and it was one of my favorite quotes, which is Jody is a great wife and she's a terrible savior. Mm -hmm. Like she can't give me the meaning that I need, the satisfaction ultimately deep down in my soul that I'm looking for, that I'm longing for. Um, she can't complete me if I'm not getting my completion somewhere else, I'm going to smother her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, I just think that's a, that's a helpful way to say it, that, that, uh, you know, indeed my wife is a great wife, but she's not a good savior. Like there's other things that I need that she can't fix in me. She Mm -hmm. can't complete me. So then that kind of begs the question, like, where am I going to get that? Um, the truth is, like she said, we we are broken and we do need to be saved. It just can't be done by someone else who also needs to be saved. Uh, it gets back to the Paul uh, trip book, like marriage. Like, what did you expect when two sinners say "I do"? That's like, one
0: of my favorite book titles for a marriage
1: book. <laughs> right. That's, that's one of the best, you know, subtitles in that uh, uh, in that uh, book. Um, and and so the uh this this ties in really well to our last point of hundred zero. Like, how can you as a broken person come to marriage and give a hundred percent? And ultimately it's because this need for meaning and satisfaction and purpose has been fulfilled and is being fulfilled in someone other than your spouse. And this gets back to why marriage was built. Um, And so if our hearts are first and foremost satisfied in all that God is for us in Christ, um, that's going to have a radical impact Mm -hmm. on, on how we view our spouse and what their purpose is. Their purpose is not to complete me. Their purpose is, like we said last time, the spiritual friendship on this journey of life towards our forever home where we'll be entered into having fellowship with God. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, John Piper, um, talks about it this way, that we are in essence tapped into this reservoir of unending water. So we're never going to be thirsty where we, we are tapped in to a overflowing reservoir that then, because we've got our needs met and because we've got this, place where we can get more water from it's okay to bring water to your mm-hmm. wife it's okay to overflow to your wife it's okay to spend yourself down to where you got nothing left because i mean ultimately um if that's how we believe christ we're connected to this reservoir in a way that we will overflow in in joy and you know satisfaction uh for others and that mm-hmm. includes your spouse
0: yeah and it's just it freeze each other up. It it makes for a lighter marriage when you are not putting <laughs> those does. crushing expectations on each other. I mean, just a quick example. So if, you know, say as a wife you are feeling really lonely, deeply lonely. Hmm. Um instead of your husband then stepping up and saying, "Okay, well, I'm just going to be a better husband. I'm going to do more for you. I'm going to be a better friend. We're going to I'm going to take care of that for you." I'm so it's it's really a matter of just your husband then saying, Boy, let's run to the Lord about this. Um, that's a heavy burden to carry. Loneliness is is extremely discouraging. Um, let's run to the Lord and um, find um, an answer, um, a satisfaction, uh, contentment in Him for your deep loneliness. So it's it's bringing these, it's still sharing about these things that you need, um, that you you know long to have fulfilled in your life. Um, it's just bringing them to your husband or to your wife with expectation. And then you will run to the Lord together with these things, not looking to the other person to be the solution and the answer and the fulfillment of meeting these, these yeah. desires and needs.
1: Yeah. Good. The way the uh, Psalmist writes it is this, um, in, uh, Psalm 36, it says, how priceless, um, is your unfailing love? Oh God. Like, we're getting this priceless love that is described as unfailing, and that is what God has for his own. And then it goes on to say, people take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They actually feast on the abundance of your house, and you, God, give them drink from your river of delights. Um, and I think if, if we're first and foremost going to him and being satisfied in him, that is going to radically change our posture towards our wife, towards our spouse that says, I'm, I'm not going to try to get from you horizontally what I was built to get vertically from God. Hmm. And, and I think that's, that's kind of a Paul, Tripp uh, trip quote. I think that's helpful. I think it probably comes out of the book. We get, you know, quoted mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, where that, that's where this, that's where this ties to 100 hundred zero. If I'm trying to get me filled up, um, horizontally from you in a way that I was only meant to have this hole in my heart filled this God-shaped vacuum film with filled with him as Blaise Pascal said years ago, then. That that is going to be radically different than how I approach my spouse because yeah. I'm going to God vertically for what I can't get horizontally.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think we could even circle back to um, the the point we talked about about um, prioritizing your spouse over your hmm. children. Yeah, um, and instead of saying the best way to love your children is to love your spouse, um, well, not instead of along with yeah. you could say in this the best way to love your spouse is to fall more deeply in love with Christ. Yeah. Um, and so practically just like we talked about, you want to prioritize time with your spouse. Um, you do want to prioritize time with God. Um, that is the best way to love your spouse is to continue to fall more in love with the Lord. Look to him, um, to satisfy you and fulfill you and meet your deepest needs. Um, that's where you're going to find more joy and, um, and freedom within your marriage and what you guys each expect from each other.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's that's great. And maybe there's folks listening that, you know, what does this faith journey look like? It's okay to call out to God and just say, God, I don't know you. <laughs> I don't know if you're out there. Um, I don't know if any of this is true, but my marriage is rough Um, and if these things are, are true, like God, you need to like, help me down this faith journey, Mm -hmm. help me if, if you are out there and there is a God to know, like, I want to know you show yourself to me. Um, not just so that my. Marriage is better, but so that I I can stop looking at my marriage to uh, save me because I really do feel broken and I really do mm-hmm. um, think that this life is not all there is and and um, that can be a way for us to call out to God on this you know uh, journey as well.
0: For sure, yeah, and it's like we talked about with our kids, not making you know, making sure they're not the center of our world at yeah. the cost of you know your spouse being a priority. It's the same thing here. I mean, making. Totally. Your relationship with the Lord and you just gave a practical great first step of how to do that if if that is not if you are looking at your life and you're thinking my spouse is the center of my world um and you are seeing them be being crushed um under the weight of that that's a good practical first step and just um working to make sure that your walk with the Lord your time with the Lord your relationship with him um is at the top of your priority list
1: Yeah. Or maybe, you know, you're also on the other side, which is God, I feel crushed. Like Mm -hmm. my spouse doesn't get these things. And now that I'm having a category of thinking of this, like I'm getting crushed with what I must be feeling is I'm. I'm the one that needs to save my spouse. Yeah. And I can never make them happy enough. I
0: can never do everything they want me to do. I'm failing them all the time.
1: Yeah. And that's a great place not to fix your spouse, but just to bring your spouse to God and say, God, please satisfy them in a way that I can't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And for their joy, um, please open up their eyes to uh, some of these things Mm -hmm. that marriage is really a picture of, how you are drawing closer to us. Yeah.
0: Because like you've said many times, even on your absolute best day, <laughs> you are just a good husband. Yeah, you are an right. awful savior. And the same for me on when I have a really great day, I'm rocking my role as a wife. I mean, even in that, I'm I'm just a good wife. Right. I'm not a good completer or fulfiller or satisfier or savior for yeah, sure.
1: Yeah. Good. Number 10, the Number last 10. one on our list. Go ahead. Number 10 has to do with our mouths and our words. So yes to saying something to build up your spouse and no to keeping your mouth shut. Because if you can't say nothing nice, don't say nothing. So <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that we do here uh, in our uh, culture and the myth of this is if you got nothing nice to say, then don't say nothing. Uh, Will Smith might have that in one of his rap songs. Uh, It's all over the place. Um, And what I love about scripture is that it it can be so radically upside down at times. And um, one of the things that we find there uh, is in this weird passage about stealing. Uh, Like there's this concept of, hey, if you steal, that's probably not uh, good. And so what's the opposite of stealing? Not stealing? The answer is no, it's not the opposite of stealing is, is being told not to steal. The opposite of stealing is go get work so that you can get things so that you can give. So in that same exact passage, it says the same thing about our mouths. It is not enough to just bite your tongue and to keep your mouth shut. And I think in marriage, this is a big one, that it's not enough just to stop demeaning your wife or your spouse, um, and it's not enough to just shut up um, and bite your tongue more often. Uh, just like the thief, we're told to do something different. And, and so uh, this is actually how it uh, you know says it. Let no corrupting talk. I like the word corrupting that you can see words corrupt another person and you can see them corrupt a healthy marriage. And it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but instead only such a word or only such a talk as is good for building up as fits the occasion. And then we get a purpose statement so that it may give grace to those that hear. So our mouth is built to build up other people, not to keep it shut just because we can't say nothing nice. And so in marriage, we got to figure out ways in which our words can actually then be used to build up the other person, not just be neutral.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's been really key for us. (laughs) And just... Figuring out ways to honor each other with our words, build up with our words, um, encourage each other. Um, One other thing we've we've learned over the years is that the opposite of love is not hate. It's actually indifference. Right. So that gets back to your point of you can't just say, well, if I say something right now, it's it's going to be a horrible thing. So I'm just not going to say anything. Um, I love the verse in in the Bible, too, that says a soft answer Hmm. turns away wrath. So it's not that we're not supposed to say anything. We're not supposed to respond. We're supposed to have um, a soft answer. And that is impossible in our human strength nine times out of 10. So again, it's running to the Lord. It's back to the point we just talked about of asking the Lord to do these things in our lives. But You know, I think there is, um, there is a place in a marriage for constructive criticism, there is a place to calling out sin. So it's not that we are never having hard conversations or talking about the things in the other person that are not good or not healthy or hurtful. There's definitely a place for having these kinds of open and honest communication where we are talking about the things that we don't like in the in our spouse or that are Things that are not working in the marriage. It's it's not that you just avoid anything negative and you only say the positive, wonderful, glowing you know words about your spouse. It's just figuring out a way to be honoring, um, and to use your words to be encouraging. And you can do that in the midst of um, talking about things that need to change in a marriage.
1: Yeah, I I think that words are so powerful, and we also need to be careful about coding words like you know, sure wish someone around here would take the trash out. Right. <laughs> I mean, that that's definitely using your mouth. It's definitely not keeping it shut. Um, but it's definitely got a coded message, you know, message in it. And um, coded messages are just not helpful. They're not going to be messages that give grace. And, you know, if, if doing those types of things, if you're hinting at them, if you're in public or you're with another you're we're with other uh, couples and somebody says something, you're like, "Man, I sure wish my husband would do that or man, it must be nice to be married to a wife like that." like everyone laughs, ha <laughs> ha, that's kind of funny um but that's that's really using our words to tear down our spouse um and as you just said, like there there are times in marriage where you've got to have a crucial conversation about what do you really mean and what do you really need and you need words for that Mm -hmm. and it's not about using our words coding and ultimately cutting the other person down or hoping that by cutting them down they're going to get a hint Mm -hmm. um it's using our words to build up and part of building up means that we have to talk through some things that are hard yeah um,
0: and a lot of this starts in our mind. I mean, yeah. if we're thinking about <laughs> all of the things that drive us crazy about our spouse right. all of the time, that's it's what's gonna, gonna come, to out. come out. It's or come when out. we're at a group, you know, of other people in a social situation and, you know, they say something that's kind of triggering of, you know, something that yes. we don't like in our spouse too, it's gonna come out. So it really is The whole idea of taking your thoughts captive and um, even practically speaking, going back to what we talked about earlier on focusing, um, keeping at the forefront of your mind, the things that are working in your marriage or the things that are, um, that you do appreciate about your spouse. Um, But, you know, the main point being just, you know, guard your words um, around your spouse, around others. Um, It is important to have a couple confidants. I think we've both learned that in marriage that it is important to have people, um, kind of an inner circle that you can talk through some of these harder things with. Um, but even within that circle, I mean, misery loves company. And if you're struggling, um, to enjoy your spouse, it's going to be very tempting and easy to find other people in the same boat and start venting and complaining and bashing your spouses together. Um, which usually doesn't lead to anything good. It's definitely not helpful. Um so it is possible to find friends who will who will listen and then help you to be grateful or who will understand the struggles of marriage but also remind you to focus on what is working. And just practically speaking too, you know, try spending time with couples who do this well. They're in a good place in their marriage. They build each other up. They talk highly of each other. Um Not to rub it in that yours isn't in the same good place, but just to inspire you, to teach you, to instruct you and give you hope for what's possible. I mean, I think we've, we've learned from other people. We haven't figured all this stuff out on our, on our own. I mean, we've learned it as we've watched other couples who we consider, you know, who have a beautiful, healthy, thriving marriage. And we've tried to emulate some of those things. Um, but basically, you know, the more you complain about your spouse, the more that those things will be on the forefront of your mind, um. And hard to get out of your mind and then it will overflow into your speech. Right,
1: right. This, this does tie back to, to, um, love languages and you know, you, you, it, it is one of the five words that affirm the other person is going to be on your spouse's list somewhere. And it, it may be higher than what you think. And one of the things Jody told me once was, um, yes, I do need, I do need to hear these things from you. I do need you to speak these things over me. I do, I do like when you tell me these things because sometimes I don't hear them. Um, Could you write them sometimes? And that, that was a whole new way for um, me to think, for us to think that when this is higher on her list, what is the best way for her to hear my words? Sometimes it's not being always spoken. Um, Sometimes it does have to do with written words. And so, You know, for for me investing some some time and putting down on paper um, to connect with her in words, um, super helpful. And I and I wouldn't I wouldn't have known that necessarily um, this late in our marriage if she wouldn't have told me that with the words.
0: Yeah, and I just reread a card you wrote me on my birthday last year. Hmm. um, That you know you did this exact thing. You told me some of the things that I needed and wanted to hear. Um or things you appreciated about me in in a written card that I could then go back yeah. and reread um, I think too there is a uh, there's a difference between complaining um and really needing help hmm. um for a serious issue or a problem with your spouse um, so there are times where you're you know you are going to need help there are real issues um but here we're just we're just kind of talking yeah. about being purposeful to build one another up when you're at home or with when you're with others um I think, too, it's important to point out that very rarely is somebody motivated by criticism, embarrassment, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> demeaning, right. Cutting words, like shaming. What's, right. What's I do? mean, constantly reminding right. them of their feelings or the things you don't like about them or why can't you just get this part of your life together? Or, you know, I mean, very rarely does that work. I think the best motivation for change And we have both had to implement this in our marriage. There's things about me that you don't like and things I have wanted you to work on too. You know, the best motivation for change is typically encouragement. I mean, pointing out the baby steps that they are, you know, making, um, telling them the things that, yeah, celebrating the things that they are doing well when they do take a step towards um, that change. And so cheering them on and supporting them instead of, criticizing them and demeaning them. Um, that is very rarely a good, a good way to get somebody to change. Um, as well as giving up on somebody. I mean, when you give up on them and you just kind of think, well, there's no hope here. I mean, that's, how is that going to motivate somebody, um, either? So I think the best thing is, you know, learn about what they're wanting to change or clearly express the things that you are wanting them to do differently and then work together. Um, on building each other up as you
1: make baby steps. Yeah, and I and I like your point too. Like, tune into what other couples do. Tune into how other couples talk like this in front of other people, and do find those couples that are super good at this. And you know, as I've heard you and us both learn this, but you do this for me in front of other couples. Like, that's amazing. Some of the things that you share. In respect, go a long way, and um, that—that's something that we have learned from others, and that's a way to use our mouths to actually um, not do neutral or not do damage, but um, to really do do good. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the ways we uh, even talk about it at the bank is, what does the word encouragement mean if we're trying to encourage teams at the bank and people to be on teams at the bank? what does the word actually mean? And you know, that is really connected to using your words to bring courage to the other person. Hmm. Um, and so I love it in marriage as you can then use your mouth and use your words not to be neutral or not to cut down, but you're actually speaking over the other person words that can give them reasons to move forward in hope that can give them reasons to see their hope built. Um, that can inspire them in ways that, um, other things become possible. And that's, that's the power of what words can do spoken over us. And then, you know, I think, where does that come from too? like the way the, and the words that God speaks over me, the words that God speaks over us, you see them in the Psalms, you see him in the life of Christ, you see them all throughout, you know, scripture and, um, be because I am counted, um, with the perfect resume and record of Christ counting for me and his life counting for me. And he gets all my sin and I get his, his uh, perfect life. Like the same words that God spoke over Jesus. This is my son. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Like those words, those words are spoken over me. This is God delights over his own. He, he, um, surrounds him in, in, in his love. And these words that we're speaking over our spouses ultimately, um, give us this category of thinking is what, of what does God speak over me? What does, what does God speak over us? Um, and that's where I think the truth of God's word can be really helpful in this area too. And, and we're mm-hmm. really pattering our, our mouths, Um, just like the words that he speaks and we're, we're giving courage in our spouse in, in ways that are super helpful.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think two words that we don't hear, um, spoken over us from Christ, but are very important to implement in a marriage are, I'm sorry. Hmm. I think those are two of the most powerful words that um, we just have to learn. We just have to learn to say and to have be frequent, um, words in in our marriage. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Um you know, and and on the flip side, I forgive you. Um yeah. so those are some some pretty key words to speak over um and to your spouse as well. I think the other idea of um that we've talked about a lot in our marriage um is the idea of being right or reconciled. Um do you yeah, always want to have the phrase. last word? Do you always want to get in that last comment to make sure that you are right and that your spouse knows that you are right, or are you willing to just be reconciled and to, um, to not, so I, I think that is the one time where keeping your mouth shut might be okay (laughs) 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 of just, if you don't have, I mean, you don't always have to get the last word in. Well said. Um, sometimes it's okay. I mean, that's, I've definitely, I mean, again, I think this is something we do with friendships. We do with other relationships in our life. We don't always make sure that our side is perfectly explained and that we've told them all of the reasons why we're right. A lot of times we're willing to just let some things go under the bridge, but in marriage, boy, we just feel like we have to get that last word and make sure that we were right. And that if we were right, that they know we were right. And um, there is just, um, there's something to being reconciled to yeah. love covering a multitude of sins to just sometimes letting it be, even though in your heart, you know, you are right <laughs> about something. Yeah. Is it really a hill to die on? And is it really worth just one more comment or one more conversation?
1: Yeah. They, I'm glad you brought that up. Those are powerful words to speak over your spouse. I was wrong. And if if you are waiting for your spouse to say that first um i just encourage you encourage each of us to just don't figure out what percent of this problem they own you gotta own your percent and rest assured You have some, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so whatever percent it is, don't be like, you know, they're mostly to blame on this. I assigned 65% of the blame to her and this never would have happened if she didn't do that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to wait until she's the bigger person and says I was wrong. And then I'll confess my 35%. Mm -hmm. Like what you got to do is be like, you know what? This is, this is broken. I need forgiveness and I need you to forgive me. And I'm willing to forgive you even if you don't ask for it. And Um, I'm going to go to you and just say, I don't know if I got 35% of the blame here. And I don't know if I got 65% of the blame. I know that I was wrong and I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And those are, those are great words to move forward in mercy and forgiveness and not trying to say, well, let me explain to you now this 53% where you should have, you should have done this better, um, to just now you've got the doors back open to be reconciled. Don't fight so hard to be right. And as a one on the Enneagram, man, that's a good, that's a good lesson to learn in mm-hmm. life and, uh, and, and to, uh, stick with. Yeah.
0: And we all love the phrase that actions speak louder than words. Yeah. And oftentimes mm. they do, but words are important. Well, we got through all Ten. I know we could easily come up with another ten. Um, this is a favorite topic for us, for sure. It is. Um, we still have the Q and A section to get to, as we mentioned in last week's episode. We asked you guys to submit some questions about marriage, and you guys came through with some really good ones. We're excited to talk through those. But I want to end today's episode here. And then we will pick up with the Q&A as part three next week. Does that sound good?
1: That sounds great.
0: Great. Well, again, as we close, I just want to say that our prayers you listen to these episodes on marriage is to encourage you and to bring you hope for your own marriage. If you are struggling in your marriage or you feel like it's just hanging on by a thread or not worth fighting for anymore, we just want to encourage you to fight that discouragement and to not buy into the lie that a thriving marriage isn't attainable for you, especially if you're a Christian yeah. and you have God's power and strength and help on your side. And also, we we just don't want you to listen to these episodes and think that we have it all together because we don't. Our marriage ebbs and flows just like everybody else's. Um, but I think it can be tempting to think that you shouldn't share on a topic unless you're an expert and you do have it all yeah. together. And I think that hinders a lot of people from sharing really good stuff because it hinders other people from learning and growing when you hear other people's stories, mess and all. Yeah, <laughs> And really, I mean, I don't know anybody who's an expert on marriage, um, right. even couples who have been married twice as long as we have are still um learning and growing um and I and that's our hope as a couple we want to keep learning and growing and remain students of marriage and um and I even wonder if our top 10 list would look different down the road I mean I think it, it will would. and I know it would have been very different 10 been. or 20 years ago so yeah. it's a continual um you know learning process and we didn't want to not share just because we um are not experts yeah. um But all this to say, if you are marriage, um, marriage is a huge part of your life, for better or worse. It has the potential to bless and bring great joy, but it also does have the potential to hurt and discourage. And that's why we need to talk about it more and encourage each other to keep fighting for joy within our marriages. It's hard and messy work, but as we've said over and over, it's important and valuable and life-changing work. It's not always easy. Um, some marriages will never, ever be easy. Um, but just remember that we all have we all have burdens that we carry in life. We are not left without help and hope. And even if that burden is your marriage, um, just know there are practical tools to implement. There are practical ways we can come alongside and help each other. And lastly, we have a big God, the creator and designer of marriage. He's always at work. He speaks to us through his word. He never falls asleep or is too busy. He promises to help and sustain and comfort and provide. So let's all keep looking to him for that help in our marriage. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Fighting for Joy podcast. I just want to remind you that I am still partnering with Faithful Counseling this season to help bring you quality online Christian counseling. Use my code at faithfulcounseling.com slash fightingforjoy. You will find out more there and receive 10% off. I can't say it enough, but quality counseling is a worthy investment. Such a powerful tool in the fight for joy in the midst of this broken world. Again, check it out at faithfulcounseling.com slash fightingforjoy. Or just send me a message and I will get you the direct link. Have a great day, you guys. Thank you so much for listening today. If you were helped or encouraged by this episode, please share it with others. I would also love for you to find me on social media. You can connect with me and others who are listening on my Fighting for Joy podcast page on either Facebook or Instagram. You can also send me an email at fightingforjoypodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Podcasts have been such a lifeline for me in grief and one of the top ways that my soul is recharged and encouraged on a weekly basis. I truly hope that this podcast will do the same for you. Keep fighting for joy.